Our first reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 34, beginning at verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. The second reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for, this, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is God's word. Morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Let's pray as we come to this passage. My name's Ben. I'm uh, on the pastoral staff here. And it's a joy to bring you this and show you Jesus this morning. Let's pray together as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that we would see Jesus in all his glory this morning. Please, would you come and speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit that we might see Jesus and that we might be changed into his likeness. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. It is, it is that time of year where a lot of us do quite a lot of self-reflection and sort of looking back over the past few months and years and looking forward as well to the, <coughs> to the new year to come, the challenges maybe that face us. Um, and, and we look quite honestly at ourselves and maybe uniquely in our year. It's a time for looking back and looking forwards and, and looking inwards as well. And all of us find, when we're honest with ourselves, there are still corners of ourselves that we would like to change. Um, sometimes that's less obvious, sometimes it's painfully obvious, but when we're honest, there's always something. 
There's always something. I think that's why people set New Year's resolutions as a kind of fresh start. You know, what, what can I change? What could be different about this year and, and the year to come? But the problem is, looking back can give you a sense of, of regret, opportunities missed, things we wish we hadn't done or said, even guilt sometimes when we look back. And when we look forward, we can be filled with fear because of the challenges to come. And isn't it so, so much the case that it's guilt or fear that often drive people's New Year's resolutions? Guilt and, and fear motivating them to change. But the reality is, and many of us will know this, guilt and fear, they might motivate us for a little bit, but they are cruel masters and unkind masters, and they actually very rarely produce any lasting change. Um, YouGov did their poll this week of New Year's resolutions and who's doing them and percentages and things like that. It's striking that, that less than a third of us claim to keep them. About 20% of us say we, didn't, we made them and didn't do any of them ever, um, which is pretty high. But also the other thing that struck me was the older you get, the less likely you are to make them. So there's been a bit of an uptick this year, 20s and 30s, making more resolutions, more focused on mental health than, than physical health. But, but the older we get, the less likely we are to make them. I wonder if that's because the longer we're here, we realise that, that guilt and fear, they're, they're, they're cruel masters and they don't really produce any real change. Maybe we'll become more cynical, I don't know. But this passage today offers hope of genuine transformation. And that's because it, it, it's change that comes not through guilt or fear, but guilt that comes from seeing the glory of God in Christ. Now, we're going to use that word glory a lot today. What would we mean by that? Glory is the outward display of God's inner beauty. That's all we mean by that. The outward display of God's inner beauty. And it, as, as we see the glory of God, it will transform us. That's what these verses tell us. Look at verse 18. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect or behold the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now this isn't a change that comes through a gym membership or making your to-do list even longer and you've got to do another five or six things. It doesn't even come purely just from your own motivation or your own willpower. It comes through the grace of God. So before we plunge into the craziness of 2023, we're only a few hours in, so let's just pause and look to Christ and consider together how will we keep Jesus at the focus this year. That's what we're going to do in this time because genuine transformation comes through beholding God's glory in Christ. Now, we've not been in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, which is actually what we're in, uh, in 2 Corinthians um, at all. So let, let's just get our bearings a little bit. Paul um, is, is saying here that, that although my ministry looks weak and pathetic and very unimpressive, it is genuine, it's real, and it, it pr- produces genuine love for Christ and genuine change. In fact, in this section we've just read, Paul is comparing the, the ministry of Moses in the Old Covenant with his ministry as an apostle. And he is saying, my ministry is more glorious than the ministry of Moses, which is quite a claim. So what we're going to do, we're going to trace these two themes through the passage. First, we'll see how Moses is transformed by seeing God's glory. And then more wonderfully and more gloriously, we're going to consider that we are transformed 
by seeing God's glory in Christ. So let's find Moses in this passage first. Moses was transformed by seeing God's glory. See, the old covenant is full of glory. I don't know if you've ever noticed that reading through the Bible. I mean, look at verse 7 of our passage. Now, if the ministry that brought death, with, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was. There's a few things in there we're going to pull out. Because Paul could have gone for many examples of glory in the Old Testament. He could have gone for the Exodus, you know, the people of God walking through these walls of water on dry ground to escape their enemies. That is glorious, isn't it? He could have gone for uh, the pillar of fire and cloud, the presence of God leading his people through the wilderness and then resting on the temple to meet with his people. He doesn't go for those. He goes for verse, what it says in verse 7 here, that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory. Now, this is the story we had read before, Sharon read for us in Exodus 34. So Moses meets with God. He's up the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he asks to see God's glory. And you might remember that, that Moses is, is there and God hides him in the rock and he lets him see the back of his glory because he's too holy. And Moses sees the outward display of God's inner beauty. And he comes down, having heard, seen the glory of God through the word of God, as God proclaims his name, you might remember the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He brings the Ten Commandments down for the second time, having smashed the previous ones. And he goes back down to the Israelites, but what he doesn't know is that he's been transformed. Exodus tells us his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. He'd seen his glory. So Moses meets God. Face to face, we're told in, in Exodus 33, that intimacy. He beholds the glory of the Lord and he is transformed to reflect the Lord's glory. The old covenant is full of glory, is glorious. But there is a problem. Did you hear in the reading how Aaron and the other Israelites reacted to Moses' shining face? I don't know how you would react if that happened this morning, but, but Moses comes down the mountain and they were terrified. They were afraid to come near him. Why were they so terrified? Because as sinful people who cannot keep God's law, they see the glory of God reflected in the face of Moses and it terrifies them. And you know what? We see this kind of thing happen throughout the whole of the Old Testament. Whenever sinful human beings come in contact with the glory of God, it fills them with fear or worse. So think back to just before this in Moses' lifetime at Mount Sinai when, when he goes up the first time to get the Ten Commandments and the mountain is shaking and there's trumpets and thunder and the people are terrified because of the glory of the Lord. Or what about Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu? They have their little DIY worship service. They think, oh yeah, we're going we're gonna to enter the presence of God. We're going to have the glory of God. And what happens? They get zapped because you can't mess around with the holy God. What about in the tabernacle and the temple? God's presence descends upon the temple. And the priests have to stop ministering because of the glory of the Lord, the holiness of God. Or Isaiah, who sees the glory of God and says, Woe to me, I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Sinful people can't gaze upon the glory of God. They need transformation. And that is why Paul describes the ministry of Moses in our passage, verse 7 the ministry that brought death, or verse 9, the ministry that brought condemnation. The law of Moses brings death 
and condemnation because it shows us God's perfect standards, but it doesn't have the power to actually change you, to live that way. Now, there's nothing wrong with God's law. It's perfect. But what it does is expose how far short we actually are to God's moral standards. It's quite a lot like New Year's resolutions. The goals we set may well be good. There's nothing wrong with a goal of losing weight or drinking less or improving your mental health. That's great. But those resolutions themselves don't give you the power to do it. Can you imagine if New Year's resolutions, just by having them, actually changed you? That'd be amazing. Everyone would make a list as long as there are. But as the name suggests, resolutions require resolve. And it's hard to keep them. In fact, when it comes to God's law, it's not just hard to keep God's law. It's impossible to keep God's law. And that's why Moses and the law of Moses leads to condemnation and death. So what does Moses do? He puts a veil over his face. And Paul tells us why in verse 13 of our passage. He put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. The end of what was passing away. Now Moses knew that the end result of seeing the glory of God whilst under the old covenant, which cannot change you, the result of seeing the glory of God, the end result is condemnation and death. And so he puts a veil over his face to stop the Israelites from seeing the end result of what was passing away. Now what was passing away was the old covenant. And there's a picture of that here. Moses' glory, which Paul says is transitory and it's fading away, that glory is a picture of the, the passing away of the old covenant. Glorious though it was, and it's passing away because it cannot change us. And before we move on to consider the much more wonderful reality for us as, as believers, let me just say, if, if you're not Christian here today and, and you think Christianity is, is all about keeping loads of rules that you can't possibly keep, or frankly, if you're a Christian here today and you live as if Christianity is about keeping a load of rules that you can't possibly keep, can I just encourage you to look to Christ, which is what we're going to do in just a moment, because it's likely that if, if that's your perception, then all of your interactions with Jesus and reading the Bible are going to leave you feeling pretty condemned, like you're under a bit of a cloud. Or, as Paul puts it at the end of chapter 2, it will smell like the aroma of death rather than the, the, the aroma of life. And, and it might be, if you're not a Christian here this morning, that, in fact, Paul says this is the case, verse 15, that a veil covers your heart when you read. And coming to God, coming to Christ, and asking him to show you his glory through Christ, it will transform you. And if you are a Christian, and it all just feels like thing after thing after thing that you're not doing, let's look to Christ together and find hope. Because we've seen that Moses was transformed by seeing God's glory. Now we see we are transformed by seeing God's glory in Christ. So right at, we're right at the center of this passage now, the contrast that Paul is drawing between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So verse 10, the Old Covenant was glorious, but now it has no glory. So all the amazing stuff, which bit of the Old Testament would you most like to have seen? It's nothing compared to what we have now. The walls of water, the glory cloud. It's nothing compared to what we have now, Paul says. It was glorious, but this, oh my goodness, this is so much more glorious that it makes that look dull. And that's because the old covenant can't change us, but the new covenant can. For all to, who turn to the Lord, his law is written not on tablets of stone that Moses brings down the mountain, but if you look up to verse 3 of chapter 3, 
You see, it's not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. God writes his law in our hearts. Just look at some of these contrasts between the Old Covenant and the New. Verse 9. The ministry that brought condemnation, that was Moses. Well, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? There is a ministry that actually genuinely brings righteousness. And that's because in the New Covenant, we have been declared right with God through Jesus. We've been given his perfect record of obedience. And, as Paul goes on to say later, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But not only that, not only are we declared right before God, the Holy Spirit, who has written his law on our hearts, transforms us so that we can, in fact, obey God and live rightly for him. There's three more little contrasts. Just look at verse 18. There's three contrasts in this verse alone. First one is this, and we all, not just Moses, all of us. See, Moses was this picture of Jesus, the one who could ascend into God's presence and reveal God's glory to the people and intercede for us. But now, brothers and sisters, in Christ, we ourselves can gaze upon the glory of the Lord. Secondly, we have unveiled faces. The the Israelites' hearts, Paul says, it was like a veil was over them. It's like they were spiritually desensitized to God. Their hearts were veiled. But in Christ, the veil is taken away and we can truly behold the glory of God in Christ. The third final contrast, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory that comes from the Spirit. Moses' glory was transitory, we, we see in verse seven. It was fading away. Not the glory of the new covenant. It keeps getting more and more glorious. In fact, as the hymn says, we are being changed from glory into glory. Now that is wonderful. But where where do we actually see the Lord's glory? What does that mean? Because I want some of that. Verse 6 of chapter 4. The end of that verse tells us, the knowledge of God's glory is displayed where? In the face of Christ. You might have heard this reading over Christmas time. We've had it in our service already. The word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Full of grace and truth. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. You see Moses met God face to face. He beheld the glory of the Lord and his face was transformed to reflect the Lord's glory. We behold the glory of God in Christ and our hearts are transformed into his likeness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Genuine change, brothers and sisters, is possible today. Let's just take a moment to consider the glory of God in Christ. This is drawn from all over the scriptures. But let me just hold out to you how glorious Jesus really is. He is the one through whom all things were made, the most supreme of all beings, the jewel of heaven. And yet he laid aside his majesty and glory to be born to a woman that he himself had made. And as he lay in the manger, he continued to uphold the universe by the word of his power. Scripture says that he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And yet he made his dwelling amongst us on earth. Jesus is so holy, so pure that that every unclean disease fled from him. Even death undid itself at his command. And yet he is so compassionate and gentle and so kind that all who come to him find welcome. 
At his touch, lepers were cleansed, the blind could see, the people were set free from the oppression of the enemy, and he came for the lost and the least of these. And then on the cross, his glory was most fully displayed as the light of the world was slain by the darkness. He paid for our shame and our condemnation that leads us to the grave. The one whom belongs the highest praises of heaven was hung bleeding on a tree by those he made. But willingly, that he might receive the punishment for their sins. The author of life, dead in the grave for three days, but rose to glorious victory, breaking the power of death, releasing us from the judgment of hell, beginning in us the new creation life that stretches into eternity. And now he is seated in heaven. The lamb who was slain is the lion who reigns. He intercedes for us and you and me to guarantee our place with him in heaven forever in his paradise kingdom. Behold your God. That is the glory of Christ. And as you behold in verse 18, the spirit is at work to transform you, to reflect his likeness. You see, what you look at defines what you're like. What you look at defines what you're like. If you're focused on money all the time, then you will become cold and transactional with people, always wanting more. If you look at pornography you will see people as objects for your gratification. If you fixate on your regrets and your guilt, you'll feel guilty all the time. If you focus on your fear, you'll be afraid all the time. If you look at Jesus, you'll become kind and generous and loving and gentle and good because that's what he's like. And that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. But is it just a bit too good to be true? I mean, I struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin. And this is, has a sense to it. You see it in verse 13. This is an ever-increasing glory. I'm not talking about some kind of one-time zap that, that suddenly you're like Jesus and it's brilliant. No, this work will only be complete when we meet him in the air and we see him as he is face to face. But there is still hope for real change now. Look again at chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness... Made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. You see, as we look to Jesus, the power that made the world, that spoke out stars, that molded mountains, that shaped the seas, that fashioned the sun, that gives us breath, that power is at work in you to change you. So yes, there is real change possible into the likeness of Jesus. The power of the creator is recreating you as you look to Christ in his word. So how practically do we do this? How do we contemplate the glory of God in Christ? Paul tells us in chapter four, it's the light of the gospel, we just saw in that verse, to dis- that displays the glory of Christ. Paul is committed not to distort the word of God, but set it forth plainly. So we find the glory of God in Christ in the scriptures. I found this helpful in my Advent devotionals, Tim Chester's book, One True Light. He says, look at, think about, focus on, and feel differently because of who we see God to be in the word become flesh. The spirit transforms us into the likeness of our savior, Jesus. So seek out Christ in the scriptures. Read the Bible in such a way that you, you're constantly asking, where's Jesus? 
What do I see about Jesus? What do I see about his character? And delight yourself in that. Maybe today is like the start of your big Bible reading plan. You're going to read the Bible in a year, um, which is a wonderful thing to do. Don't worry about every single detail of every single verse. As you begin, pray, Holy Spirit, please show me. Please show me the glory of Jesus. And that will transform you. It will throw your heart and it will transform you. And you just need to be aware that there are lots of other things that are trying to capture your gaze all the time. I mean, just think, what, what is the first thing that you, you look at every morning? It's probably a phone, isn't it? I mean, it is for lots of us. And it probably is the same thing every day because habits are powerful things. Do you go straight to Instagram or your email? And have you thought about the thing about what, what you look at defines what you're like? Do you find yourself getting pulled into that? Do you find you get the dopamine hit when you have the more likes or you despair when, when it looks like no one's cared what you've posted? What would, what would it be like? What would the impact be if you replaced your lunge for your phone with a look to Christ? Well, you'd be transformed is the answer. You'd be a different person this time next year. You'd be free to not live for the approval of people and the likes and the, or the not, but to enjoy the goodness and glory of God. So our challenge from this passage is before today is over, before the day is out, let's ask ourselves, how, how can I keep my gaze on Christ this year? How can I regain my focus on him? Because that is the path to genuine transformation. If you're not sure where to start, think about where do you, where do you struggle? Where, where are the sins that, that you find a burden? Where do you want to see change? Can you find something in God's word that shows you something about how glorious Jesus is and feed on that? Can you stick it on the fridge? Can you make it your phone background? Can you put it up somewhere in your house so that you might literally gaze upon the glory of Christ and see that transforming work of the Spirit in your life? And lots of us, like Paul, or, or in, in a way similar to Paul, we're, we're in ministry to others. We're leading discipleship groups, we're serving on the music team, we're in the children's ministry, we're reading the Bible with people. Show them Christ from the scriptures. We, we don't have anything else to give people, but that's okay, because he is all you need. The power that made the universe is at work in you as, you as you can proclaim Christ to those other people through the scriptures. And I know it can feel very weak at times. That might even be a mark of genuine ministry, Paul says. In fact, Paul goes so far in chapter 4 to say that death is at work in him so that resurrection life is at work in those to whom he ministers. And he calls us not to fix our eyes on what is seen, the weakness, the why are we doing this, is this making any difference, people aren't growing, people aren't changing. But to focus on what is unseen, so what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal, chapter 4 verse 18. Showing people Christ will see them change. Sometimes it's slow and painful and there are all sorts of setbacks, but... Do not lose heart, Paul says, chapter 4, verse 1, because people are changed as they behold Christ. One more comment before we close. Of course, everything I've said today and everything we've heard from this passage assumes that you think being more like Jesus is a good thing. In fact, you think it's the most wonderful thing and the highest aim for our lives. Because if being made more like Jesus sounds pretty dull to you, or you're worried that there's lots of bits of you you'll lose that you really like, can I just invite you again to look at Jesus one more time? I mean, I mean, look, look through the, the Gospels, look through the Bible. See him in his glory. Does he look dull to you? 
or uninteresting or bland? I don't think he does. The more you look to Christ in the scriptures and you seek the power of the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of your heart, the more compelled you will be by Christ. So if you're just feeling a little bit this morning about all things Jesus, look again to his glory in the scriptures. Ask the Spirit to open your eyes. Maybe you've lost sight of him and it's robbing your joy. Look again to Christ and see his glory. So I don't know how you're feeling about 2023. I don't know what's consuming your thoughts and feelings even right now. Do you feel weary? Well, come and see the glory of God in Christ. The one who was born into our frail humanity, who knows your burdens and your weariness, and he took them on himself. And he's made a way for you to come to his eternal paradise kingdom. Are you filled with regret about the past? Come and see the glory of God in Christ. He washes away all your guilt on the cross. And through his ministry, you receive a right standing with God and a full reconciliation with him. Do you just long to be free from patterns of sin? Come and see the glory of God in Christ. In him is true beauty and true satisfaction. And as John Owen said, the more I see of the glory of God in Christ, the more the painted beauties of this world will wither in my eyes and I will be more and more crucified to this world. Do you fear the future? Things uncertain, things you're certain are happening that, are, that, that scare you. Well, come and see the glory of God in Christ who is seated at the right hand of God in heaven. He holds you secure no matter what happens. And your future is secure and beyond any doubt. Come to him because it is glorious. Let's have a moment of quiet and I'll close us in prayer. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Lord Jesus, we know you to be glorious. We long to feel that more deeply, but we do know it to be true. Please, with your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to your glory through the scriptures that we might be transformed, that we might be strengthened in our weariness, freed from our struggles with sin and face the future with confidence because of him, not because of us. And we pray that you would continue this work of ever-increasing glory in us until the day we see you face to face. We long for your glory and ask that you would reveal it to us by the Spirit through the Scriptures in your precious name. Amen.